know what that sound means. It's another exciting installment of the Van Brawl Seasons Podcast, where we talk local sports, both the Atlanta Pro franchises, like the Braves, Hawks, Falcons, and we also talk the University of Georgia Bulldogs. So strap in, guys. It's another exciting episode about to start right now. What up, Podcast Land? This is just Jam and Joe of the Van Vrouw Seasons Podcast. And on tonight's episode, we're going to talk a little college basketball. We're going to talk some Super Bowl 55. The Kind of the recap of how the NFL season ended with the Tampa Bay Bucks winning the Super Bowl. And we're going to talk some PGA Tour golf with our guest of the week. So we've got a really fun show for you guys tonight. Across the way from me tonight, my dad filling in for RG3. Dad, how's it going? Going well, Joe. I'm real excited about being here tonight and uh, looking forward to it. It should be a fun show. It should be fun. But, Dad, before we get into all that stuff, what, why don't we get a word from our sponsor? And that is Fan for All Seasons brought to you in part by Georgia Smoke Barbecue, authentic original oak smoked barbecue catering. Learn more at georgiasmoke.com. And before we get to our guest of the week, Dad, I kind of want to open up the show with a little bit of baseball news. You know, as RG3 and I did last week with the news about Chipper Jones, Becoming a new volunteer hitting coach for the Braves. Now, last Friday, there was the news about Marcelo Zuna coming back for the Braves. So what are your thoughts on the Marcelo Zuna deal? Four years, $65 million deal. I'm very happy for the Braves. I'm very happy for Marcelo Zuna. That's that's a lot of money that should last him his lifetime. Uh, but the Braves are, you know, if he can put up numbers just close to what he did last year... Uh, it should really help the Braves' offense. and Plus, he's a fun guy to have on your team. He seems to really be at the center of a lot of uh, you know good good spirits. And uh, the Braves are just seem to have a great team atmosphere and uh, a great personality. And I'm, I'm really happy that Marcelo Zuna is back. It fits perfectly. Because what I think about Ozuna is this. Not only offensively will Ozuna be able to protect Freddie Freeman, but he's also like a dependable guy, you know, in the clubhouse. A guy who you know is going to take care of his business and is going to go about the game the right way. And also this about Marcelo Ozuna. He has underrated speed. Don't don't mock me. Don't laugh at me. Marcelo Ozuna is a really good athlete. Circling the pillows. He does. I know the big question mark is, ooh, can he play left field every day? But I think I honestly think he's going to be okay in left. Well, I agree. He's just a couple of years removed from from a Gold Glove season, and um, you know, I've, you and I have discussed this before. I I don't think you have to do too much in left field. Just catch the balls that come to you. Right. The Braves are going to be very strong in center field, very strong in right field, and I think they'll be able to get by just fine with Marcelo Zuna in left. I agree with you. I agree with you. And so, Dad. Before we jump to our guest of the week, I've got one more topic I want to hit you with, and that is the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks, the Hawks have kind of been very up and down at this point. They got the big win against the Toronto Raptors on Saturday night, where where we saw them kind of piece things together and and get a, and get a good win against a quality opponent. And then and then on Wednesday, they, and then on Wednesday they end up playing the Dallas Mavericks and they end up losing by one point. You know, John Collins dominates with thirty three points and eight rebounds. Trey Young, 25 points and 15 assists. And then there was the last play of the game, which was crazy. So so first of all, what are your, what are your thoughts on the last play of the game in the Dallas game? Well, it was, the Hawks ended up with a reasonable shot. Gallinari had a shot to win the game on the road, and it just didn't go in. I, I 
I really don't have a problem with it. That's, you know, you play the game and sometimes the ball goes in and sometimes it doesn't. So I thought the Hawks played a good game and uh, it's a, it would have been nice if they could have closed them out, but they didn't. And uh, that's life in the NBA. The thing that, that keeps come stirring around in my mind, Joe, is the fact we still haven't seen this whole roster healthy together. Right. I mean, there's always been multiple players out. Yeah. And um, and now the so latest with DeAndre Hunter. We've lost Seven DeAndre to ten Hunter. Weeks. Chris Dunn is supposed to be our shutdown defender. And we hasn't we haven't seen him play all year. I'm hearing better news about Bogey, that Bogey could be coming back. I, th- I think... I, I think of the uh, of the guys that hurt. I think Bogey could instantly help. The if he got back to to the level he's playing at the last couple of years, it would be a real shot in the arm. It really would be for the Hawks' offense and uh, make life easier for Trey Young. But you know, it's it's really hard to evaluate the Hawks right now because we haven't seen them all. Well, speaking of evaluating, I, I want to hit you with one more topic on the Hawks, and it's this. I know there are a lot of people out there, you know, whether it's people that do radio or people that do podcasts like us or or just fans in general questioning the Hawks. Why, why is Clint Capella not on the floor in a late game situation like in the Dallas game last night? And Let me ask you, Joe, why is Clint Capella not on the floor at the end of the game in crunch time? Well, well, it, it simply comes down to this. It's free throw shooting. At the at the end of the game, what you want is somebody who can make free throws. And I've looked up the statistics here. So Clint Capella in, in his career is a 52.7% free throw shooter. His free throw percentage this year in the regular season is 53%. That That is the big reason. I get it. I get what Lloyd Pierce is thinking. I know a lot of people are like, why is he not in? I just told you the facts. Shooting 53%. I love Clint Capella. Clint, Clint Capella has been everything we've asked for. But you can't have a guy shooting 53% at, at the end of games, you know, in a big spot. You just can't. Because what do you think the other team's going to do, Joe? Hack a Clint. That, yeah. That's what they're going to do. Right. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's woeful. Yeah. Free throw shooting. Yeah, it is. And, and, there are other, some, and there are some other capable guys along there as well. Danilo Gallinari shooting 87.5% from the free throw line this year. For his career, he's a 97.5% free throw shooter. Big O, you know, the young rookie, shooting 37% from the line. Bruno Fernando, shooting 63.6% from the line this year. For, for his career, he's a 58.1% free throw shooter. And then Nathan Knight, the rookie out of William & Mary, shooting 83.3% from the free throw line. He wasn't really gotten a lot of time. That That is the big reason right there. I, I understand why a lot of Hawk fans are frustrated, but I'm giving you the facts. Clint Capella, in a big spot, if you need, if you need free throws, he's not your guy. That's right. That's right, and what will happen is, you know, people will foul him intentionally as he's trying to rebound right. and send him to the line. Right. And it, it really uh, can be counterproductive, so. And and so for all those people killing Lloyd Pierce about, you know, why is Capella not in the game, and I know I see a lot of fans are frustrated, and I know a lot of radio people have been asking that question. It's free throw shooting, guys. Free throw shooting. Okay. So anyway, we're so now we're going to transition from our kind of our opening remarks, opening statements on the pod to our guest of the week, and we'll be back with him in one second. And we're back. We are going to connect via the Fan for All Seasons fan line and bring on a guy who's been on this podcast before. He's arguably one of the most knowledgeable golf people I know. He's he's a former college athlete at the University of Alabama. And he's arguably one of the biggest Alabama people I know in terms of basketball. He's the one, he's the only he's Bill 
Van Orman. Bill, how's it going, my friend? Hey, I'm doing fine, guys. And uh, as much as I enjoy uh, uh, hanging with RG3, what a what a kick tonight <laughs> to hang out with the Colleen brothers tonight. So <laughs> absolutely, man. Uh, all good here from this Bama guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get right into it with you, Bill, and we're going to get things started with the Super Bowl. And so Sunday's game was surprising, to say the least. Did you expect the outcome that we all witnessed? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. You know, it uh, unfortunately, it turned into kind of a not-so-good-a-game, which a lot of these Super Bowls have been lately. But it surprised me. If I had, I would have bet my last dollar on Kansas City winning that game. It definitely... Uh, it definitely surprised me the way that uh, Tampa Bay, you know, shut them down and just dominated the line of scrimmage. Yeah, the Chiefs were playing a little shorthanded up front, the offensive line, and it really, definitely. it really showed up, didn't it? It really, it really did. I mean, it, it just shows you, you know, no matter what, how good your skill players are, which Kansas City arguably, you know, has a lot of lot much better skill players than than Tampa Bay, but. When you lose the game in the trenches, and I mean, Mahomes was basically on the run two thirds, or maybe more than two thirds of his pass attempts. So, you know, I I think he I don't think he had much of a chance, basically, as good as he is. Yeah. Uh, and they said both those quarterbacks, uh, Mahomes and Brady, had different, relatively minor surgeries this week, but they were both operated on. Uh, they said. Brady's was has been coming for a while, but the way Mahomes got beat up on uh, Sunday, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a new one. Yeah, isn't that the truth? I guess they, they, he had surgery yesterday, and I guess they found some some pretty ex- extensive damage in his foot that they said he could be out a while. I don't know if that means in the next season or, but uh, but he definitely he definitely had a rough couple of weeks, a concussion, and then you know you just tell he was limping in the Super Bowl, so he definitely had a rough rough end of the season for sure, didn't he? He sure did. Going over to the other side, Tom Brady has now won seven Super Bowls going back to the year 2000. How impressed are you that a a 43-year-old would be able to do what he's doing? You know, it's pretty amazing. And, and, uh, you know, it's kind of fun. You know, pre-draft, you look at you know, you look at the quarterbacks coming out of college and how they're rated and, and you know, the, the, the knock on Mac Jones is that he's not athletic, he's not a dual threat guy, and, and it's kind of gone that way, you know, with the last, say, five to ten years in the NFL with the, the dual threat dimension added to the NFL quarterback. And, and you watch Brady, you know, I don't know, he's sixth round he was picked and, you know, really wasn't, didn't really have a stellar college career. And he's certainly not, you know, athletically, there's certainly not a lot there compared to especially some of the other guys. But it just shows you, you know, if you have it upstairs and, and you have a good team around you, that, that uh, it, it is amazing. You know, it is amazing. You know, when you look at, compare him to Mahomes and what they can do athletically, there there is no comparison. But yet, you know, he's got seven rings and, and uh, you know, there aren't many quarterbacks in the NFL left that are kind of in his mold. Right. So but, it is amazing. And we had the, the Manning brothers, each one, two, and they're both in that same mold, you know, limited mobility, pocket passer type of guys. So that's in the last point, yeah. In the that's, last that's twenty exactly years, right. that's that's eleven championships right there. So 
you know, it, it is flashy and exciting to see a quarterback take off and run, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. No, and that, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's a great point, you know, because that, that's, that's so true. And, you know, it's interesting. I, one of the best quotes I saw, you know, fairly recently out of Saban is, he, you know, he was always prided himself on defense and, he finally admitted, you know, at some point this year, he said, you know, I think the game has changed that I don't think great defense can stop great offense anymore. Of course, he was referring to the college game, but I think it's easy to, to bring that into the pro game. And then you look at the Super Bowl, and that was certainly a case to the opposite where good defense can certainly, can certainly you know, stop good offense if you have the right, you know, have the right personnel. And, and I think the line of scrimmage is so important, you know, when you dominate the line of scrimmage. Uh, I don't care how good the skill players are that you're playing against. That obviously you can still win, as they showed uh, on Sunday. For sure, for sure. Well, Bill, we're going to transition from football to a little bit of golf talk with you. And our first topic that I want to get into you with is Jordan Spieth. Not is Jordan Spieth is beginning to play better golf of late week, especially last Saturday. He shot a 61 during the third round in the Waste Management Open, and then he concluded his weekend on Sunday shooting a 72. Is he back on track to playing elite golf, in your opinion? Well, I think he's he's on the way. I know he, I watched a little bit of the tournament today, and he shot the 65, I believe it was, at Pebble today. So he's, you know, right there, three back or something like that, or two back uh, going into the second round. And so I would say yes and no. I mean, he, you know, in a four round tournament, you know, they're probably even the, the, the player that wins or the, the players that are up top, they're probably all not going to hit the ball really perfectly all four days. They're going to have a day or maybe two days where they don't hit it as well, you know, but the short game has to be there. But he's just had rounds where he, I think the third round or second round at Pebble or at, uh, I'm sorry, last week uh, in Arizona where he hit like three fairways and I saw him, I think, closing out a second round or third round, you know, he had 120 in on the last hole, missed the green with a sandwich and made bogey and, you know, things like that that best you know the, the best players aren't doing that you know very seldomly so i think yes that you know he's he's been off the he's been out of that you know that winning you know position late in tournaments for so long i think at some point you have to sort of re-familiarize yourself with you know what it feels like mentally to be in contention so it's good that he's gotten himself back in it and and you know you'll watch some of the rounds he plays and he's just struggles so bad hitting fairways days where he doesn't putt very well so I think the answer is yes and no. Yes, definitely better. And it'll be interesting to see now with a good start this week at Pebble what he does, what he does this week. But for all the good, you still see these perplexing you know, points in his rounds where he just looks like a, a 10 handicap. So, but it's good. I think he's a good dude, and I think golf is better for him when you know for us anyway when he's in contention and playing well because he's, he's such a good guy and you know people like. Definitely, definitely. And my second topic for you, Bill, is this. So Brooks Kepka who won this past week's Waste Management Open is known for having a high-intense strength and conditioning program. As a fan of golf, can a high-intense strength and conditioning program really make much of an impact on a player's performance? You know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I would have said, you know, when you go back to the, the Nicholas era and before, I mean, really, Gary Player was the only guy that, that really was known for his fitness, or known for working out. I don't think he was a big weightlifter, but he was known for exercising, and he was really the only guy, and Nicholas never did. In fact, Nicholas was fairly overweight when most of his 
won most of his tournaments. And you go back before that, some of the old time guys uh, were as well. But you know, today it's just distance has become such a such a priority. And you know, probably even a better example than Kepka would be what DeChambeau's done. I mean, he's put on 40 pounds and, and he's increased his swing speed. You know, he's like a high you know high 118 you know high teens swing speed 117 118 where he's in the 130 range now and dominated the U.S. Open last fall which, you know, Wingfoot, which is a place I worked. I mean, I know that golf course very well, and I would have said, you know, no one's ever going to dominate this place with distance because there's so much, so much other, uh, you know, so many other factors in playing that course well with the green complexes. But but I think they're all doing it now, and, and they figured, I think the big thing is they figured out they'd rather be 120 yards from the green in the rough than 150 yards from the green in the fairway. And that wasn't always the case. So, you know, the easiest way to hit it farther is, to, to lift weights and, and at least that's that's what seems like they've got it figured out now. And probably the bad part of that is injuries. You know, you see some of these guys, Jason Day, you know, that have these bad injuries, you know, at fairly young ages and you just don't know, you know, whether whether some of this lifting and, you know, has something to do with it. But it certainly seems like it, it's here to stay. And, uh, you know, with guys like Kepka, Dustin Johnson, and DeChambeau doing it, you know, the rest got to keep up. So it looks like it's here to stay. Now, Bill, you know, alluding to what you just said, should the golf courses be more penal to people that are in the rough? I mean, the professional, obviously, the, those of us that are out there hacking, we don't need any more trouble. But should the, <laughs> should they lay out the courses with more penalty for uh, misplayed shots? Well, I think so. I mean, a very interesting thing on the tour is is it usually the highest winning score. If you look at the results on the PGA Tour, say the last 20, 25 years, usually the highest winning score, not including the majors, is is the tournament at Hilton Head at Heritage, and that happens to be the shortest golf course on the PGA Tour. I, I think even the way they play it now, it's not even seven thousand yards. So. Why is that? You know, why are they why are they shooting higher on that course than all these other courses? And you know, it's because it's narrow, and it, and they have you know the fairways are fairways are narrow. They have some rough. You can't just bomb it everywhere. I mean, it's you know, there's part of it is the layout of the course, which you can't always duplicate, and there's houses around it, and you know, you have a lot of out of bounds. But I think you have to narrow the fairways. Narrow the fairways. Grow the rough. You got to make it so that if a guy is is in the rough, you know. It's he does, you know, doesn't have a, you know, a free shot at the green. You watch like DeChambeau at Wingfoot and even Matt Wolf at Wingfoot. They're hitting wedges out of the rough and they're stopping the ball. So, you know, that's why everybody's on this thing about let me hit it as far as I can now because they realize, look, even if I'm in the rough, if I'm out there, you know, 350 or 320 where I have a wedge in my hand, you know, why should I lay up in the fairway and have a, you know, six, seven, eight iron in? You know, when I can still, so I think part of it is course set up, but I think we're also getting to a point where, you know, you just, you, you can't build 8,000 yard golf courses. So many of the courses they play are, are old, they're landlocked. You, you can't add the length that they need to add. To, and I think when you lengthen golf courses, all you do is, you know, you, you eliminate more and more of the field that's able to win at those places, which actually works out in favor of these long hitters. So. I think there's a lot of answers. I think that, you know, they have to do something with the ball. You know, it just goes so I hit it farther now than when I than when I was twenty five and I certainly don't swing it as hard as I swung it when I was twenty five, but the equipment, the ball, it just goes farther and it doesn't curve as much. 
so so i think you've got to do some with the equipment with the ball and then i think course set up that's why you know us opens the scores are higher than take pebble beach you know they have us opens at pebble beach where even par wins the tournament but yet you watch the tournament this week it'll be something something way under par to win it and the reason is usga sets up the course a lot differently for us open and the pga tour sets up the course which partially is the time of year too but uh but i think you're right i think they have to do something different in these these course setups and don't be afraid to make it a little narrower and and uh and tougher for these guys all right now uh i think you've shared with us that You've played Pebble Beach. What are your thoughts about that course? And you know, it, you know the the scenery is incredible. But what what can you tell us about the course and your experience? Well, it's just an unbelievable play. I mean, the piece of land is just is just incredible. But I did. I, I played in the 2000 U.S. Open there, where you know, if you remember, that was where Tiger. Tiger won it, shot 12 on par, and second place, three over par. So the course was incredibly difficult. You know, if, if he just had one of those weeks, you know, you, you wonder, was the course 12 under easy or is it three over hard? Well, he was the only guy, and he won by 15 shots. So, and Pebble's very short. I think that year in the Open, that was not 7,000 yards. I think they've, they've added a couple new tees to, to add some length to it, but it's virtually the same golf course. But if you look at like the scores today, there was no wind, it's soft, and they ripped it up. You know, it's, you know, Pebble is not long, but, you know, in the summer and, and the USGA setup where they can get it drier and firmer and, and uh, you know, the wind's blowing a little bit, you know, Pebble Pebble can be a really, really, it's usually a pretty hard golf course the way they set it up for an open. But but I've played a lot of golf courses and, and that would be right up there at the top of the list when you when you consider the golf course and then just the scenery and the piece of land that's on. It's pretty amazing. And aren't those greens kind of unique, the, the Poana grass? They are. The other thing that's amazing, I remember I got out there, you know, like the Sunday before the tournament to, to play. I had never been there before. And after, you know, your whole life, you're used to watching a tournament there every year. They've had that, you know, it was the Bing Crosby, and they've had a tournament there every year in addition to the U.S. Open. So I've watched the tournaments there for 30 years. The first thing when I got there and played it for the first time, I was shocked at how tiny the greens are. And I think you lose perspective on TV. It tends to flatten everything a little bit and tends to make everything look smaller. And those, those I mean, bigger. And those greens are absolutely tiny. So when you do get a little bit of wind and the ground is a little firm, I mean, those greens are awfully small targets. And, and you mentioned the grass. It really is hard to putt. I mean, you get, you'll never see guys miss more, you know, three foot and in putts than you do at Pebble. It's just hard to describe. It just doesn't look smooth, no matter how good they are. It just, uh, it just doesn't, you know, especially at the end of the day, if you're in the afternoon wave, I mean, it just looks a little bit scary when you have these short putts, <laughs> but, uh, but it is a, it's just a really, really neat place, but uh, it's hard. You know, they're ripping it up a little bit today, but, but it is a hard golf course under the right condition. And what's your favorite hole? What's your favorite shot? The the par three? Was that seventeen or? I would say the tee shot on eighteen is my favorite because especially under pressure, you know, there's you don't see guys hit it out of bounds there very often. Of course, usually on TV you're only watching the guys that are playing well. But it's actually a very narrow tee shot. You know, you, you're, the tee points you basically right out into the ocean, and then you know to the right of that big tree you see where guys end up driving it under it or just past it just to the right of that 
is out of bounds. So it's a very, you know, being that it's the 18th hole and, and there's pressure there, you know, at the end of a tournament, to me, that's the that's the neatest shot. It really is. It's it's, it's just very visually intimidating. Uh, I had, uh, when I got there, I, I was one side, one shot out of the cut line my second round there. So I thought. So I was thinking I needed to make eagle on that hole to, to make the cut that year. So I was very aggressive on my tee shot. I hit it right up the left side and I hit a great tee shot and hit a four iron for my second and had it about 20 feet behind the hole for eagle. Didn't end up making the eagle, made birdie, but just one of those things that it just it's just such a good hole. You can make eagle. Just today, I saw somebody playing their third shot from down in the ocean. I guess because it was low tide, he had a little room on the beach that he could play his second or his third shot from down there. But that would be my favorite hole. But there's a lot of them, though. There are a lot of neat-looking shots there, though. Yeah, there really are. There really are. Well, Bill, we're going to transition to to the last part of the show with you, and we're gonna talk about a subject that I think the three of us are all very passionate about, and that is college basketball, particularly the Southeastern Conference. And I'm gonna hit you with our first topic, and that's the University of Georgia Bulldog basketball team. Our first topic goes like this. So Georgia found itself down 18 points against the number 16th ranked Tennessee Vols. And Georgia actually in the second half outscored Tennessee 55 to 45. Even though Georgia lost 88 to 81, what are some positives that Georgia can take after a hard-fought loss to to a big-time ranked opponent like Tennessee? Well, one of the positives was probably there was one person in the Colleen household that was happy last night. <laughs> <day>, huh? <laughs> yeah, yes, there was. That's true. That that's a great point. Shout out to and you, I'm mom. sure she was very vocal about it too, huh? She was. She was, man. She <laughs> but when was. Mom ain't happy. Yeah, ain't nobody when I look happy. at Georgia, is I think. It's, it's kind of one good, one bad. I think he's getting a lot out of what he has, but I don't think he has the horses to be competitive. I mean, you know, you just look at, at the... You know, the guys these other teams are throwing on the floor compared to what he's got. I saw him play their first couple of conference games. I was like, they're going to be lucky to win two conference games. So the fact that they're, you know, I guess they're five and seven now, to me, I mean, I just can't see him being any better than that. And probably, you know, that's way better than I ever would have thought they, they've been. So I guess on one hand, it's good that he seems to be getting a lot out of what he's got. But the irritating thing to me is being a fan that why doesn't, you know, why hasn't he been able to recruit? you know, recruit better and get, you know, get some of these, you know, not having to rely on these junior college players and, you know, they're doing the best they can, but I just don't understand why, why uh, he's not getting the talent that, that these other schools are getting. So that's kind of the way I see it. Well, my frustration is the lack of post players. We are definitely small yeah. and I think it puts pressure on our guys and our guys tend to get in foul trouble because they're physically overmatched in a lot of situations right and i i it just frustrates me that there isn't a 610 611 kid out there we don't care if he scores just rebound the block shots i think I'm, yeah, the guy that's paying the price for that's Kamara. I mean, he's playing totally out of position. You know, he'd be a great four, even a three, really. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's having to play. That's really, it's really bad for him. You know, makes you think almost sometimes he looks like he's regressed, but he's just playing so, so out of position, right? Right. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, but because that has been my frustration with him. I thought he was going to like really explode this year. And, and he's, and, and he's played well. He really has. Like like last night, I looked it up, and he he had 14 points and was our second leading scorer behind KD Johnson, who who was really been 
a big time revelation for this team. But I really think what's going to really help Kamara is hopefully at some point Cream can get a legitimate big guy in here to take the pressure off him and let him play his natural four spot. And I just think that'll really help Georgia. Well, Bill, I've got one last Georgia question for you. And so before the game yesterday against Tennessee, you know, Georgia had won three straight and we're beginning to put things together like as like collectively as a team. What are your expectations for Georgia down the stretch? Well, you know, I, I think, I know they have Alabama on uh, Saturday. I mean, I think they have a pretty tough go of it uh, from here on out. But, I mean, I you know, I think if they can win, you know, if they, what do they have, seven games, five or two, they must have six games left. You know, I think if they can win two or three out of those games would be great. But I think, you know, it's just, he's got to get some players in here. He's got to get some players in here for them to be competitive. I don't think, I think you're right that Katie Johnson looks like he's, you know, he's the real thing and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a good player. But you guys said getting a big guy in here and, and uh, you know, he needs some more horses, he needs some more horses. But, you know, they play hard and hopefully they can, you never know, you know, you think back to 2008 in the SEC tournament, you know, what happened. I think no reason to think they can't pull something you know pull something good off so definitely hopefully they will definitely and I want to talk about one more guy with you Bill and that's Severe Wheeler I feel like Wheeler has really taken a big step forward from his freshman year to his sophomore year and I, and I think the addition of of Wheeler and Katie Johnson together down the road is definitely something that Tom Crean can build with having those two guards. I know they're not the biggest guards in the world, but what they do together could be really special for Georgia for Georgia down the line. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and uh, you know, and the good thing is, is, at least with Wheeler, you know, he's probably going to be a four-year player. And, and it, you know, it looks like you look around the league at some of these teams that are having good years. You know, there's a lot of four-year, a lot of older teams, you know, Missouri, Alabama. Tennessee. Uh, and then the opposite would be, you know, Kentucky, you know, with uh, the one-and-done thing. So you're right. I mean, that, that's a pretty solid basis, especially with the game being so guard-oriented these days. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, Wheeler, I think that defensively is a little bit of a liability, but, but the kid plays hard and he's hard-nosed and he's a, he's a fun player to watch, that's for sure, as, as KD Johnson is too. Well, Bill, what about uh, your alma mater, Coach Oates, came in from Buffalo, replacing a, a very high-profile former NBA coach and Avery Johnson. And to be honest with you, when I looked at that hire, I thought, boy, they're going to fall off it into the abyss. He's really got that program going, doesn't he? Pretty amazing. I think as recently as 2013, he was coaching in high school. 2011, something like that. I believe his four years at Buffalo, they they made the NCAA tournament every year, and then that one year they beat Arizona as a two. And Arizona, I believe, was a two seed. They won one of those 15 seed two seed games, which I think kind of put him on the map. But admittedly, I didn't know anything about him. And like you said, having Avery Johnson there, a guy that you know, had a has an NBA ring under his belt, you know, it does. It kind of raises your eyebrows. But amazing, they they talked about he's a real mathematician. You know, he has all these metrics that they described on what he what he was, you know, defensive efficiency, offensive efficiency, and how he wants them to score. He does not want him to shoot mid-range jumpers. He wants, number one, he wants free throws, which drive into the basket. He wants layups and dunks. And then if that's not there, he wants three-pointers. And when you look at some of the, the metrics, the way he does the math, which somebody on SEC 
channel did it. You know, it kind of makes sense. And I think the other bonus to that is that system, I think you ought to be able to recruit very well because guys would, I think most, you know, high school kids would love to play in that system. And he gets them to play defense. I think that's what's more than the offense this year is they're playing defense. You know, they've had four games in a row now where they haven't shot it very well, but they're in every game because they're because they're great. Uh, you know, they're really good defensively. So excited! I mean, I think I think they they might have trouble keeping them at this point. They better they better build a new building over there and and uh, make a commitment to him to keep him around a little bit because uh, I think he's made quite a name for himself and put Alabama basketball, uh, you know, a little bit more on the map. Definitely. And, Bill, our final topic for you is this. You, we've been talking about all night. Georgia and Alabama meet up on Saturday in Tuscaloosa. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Well, I think Georgia on paper looks Georgia would have a tough time with this one. But, you know, they went in, they went in and, and beat Auburn at Auburn, which at least until the last couple games, I really thought Auburn, Auburn, once Sharif Cooper joined them, was really going to be one of the top teams in the conference. And then they go ahead and I guess they lost three games in a row until they won last night at Vanderbilt. So well, at least George has proven they can go into, you know, go into someone else's house and steal one. So I guess, I guess, you know, I guess you got to give them a shot. Uh, but I think that it's going to be a tough matchup for them. I think Alabama probably looks forward to playing Georgia because it's really the only team recently they have played where they're going to be bigger than or as big as. Teams that have given Alabama a tough time are, you know, the teams with a big-time post presence, you know, like South Carolina had, and Oklahoma certainly had. So I think Alabama's probably going to win that one, but hopefully it's an entertaining game, and I think you got to give Georgia a shot based on based on a couple of the games, what they've done uh, on the road. For sure, for sure. I think so, too. What, what are your thoughts, man? Well, I, I think, it, you know, to pull an up, upset on the road, they're, they're going to have to shoot the three ball really well, and that's not something that's really stood out for Georgia this year. If you're small, you better be able to shoot the three. And you also yeah. got to be able to get to the line. And just no turnovers. They got to cut. Just, you know, you can't turn the ball over. Right. I, I want to say... Who, who did Georgia play Saturday? Vanderbilt? I think Georgia had 21 turnovers in a home game against Vandy. That's inexcusable. I know Cream yeah. likes to go tempo, but you have to slow it down just a little bit. Totally. That's kind of in Alabama's demo the last three games where they've been throwing it all over the, over the place, too. And you know, you're playing against Alabama at the speed that Alabama and Georgia play. You're going to have a lot of possessions. You know, you're going to have probably, you know, 90 possessions each, you know, at the pace that they both like to play. I think they're probably the two fastest, you know, fastest playing teams in the league. So I think the team that turns it over the least, and I totally agree with you guys, that the team that, you know, that can make some threes, and like you said, it's going to be necessary, I think, for Georgia, you know, to have any chance, so... Definitely. Hopefully it's an entertaining game. Well, we hope so too. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight and talking a little bit of NFL, Super Bowl, little college hoops, and a little bit of golf with us. Thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. All right, guys. Always fun for me too, and, and good to be with you. Well, Absolutely. thanks, Bill, and say hello to everybody. At, we'll, we'll see you at the gym. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk to we'll you later. We'll do, and tell congrats to that Tennessee fan you have over there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we will. We will. We will. Take care, buddy. Well, Dad, I thought that was a really good interview we did with our man, Bill Van Orman. You know, he provided a lot of insight, a lot of perspective on a lot of different things whether it be college hoops, golf. I thought the stories about Pebble Beach were really cool. And I liked what he said about Nate Oates and his, you know, kind of mathematician style. And 
As far as Georgia, I think he's spot on. I think Georgia needs to go into Tuscaloosa on Saturday and be able to hit threes. And value the ball. Keep exactly. The turnovers down. I tweet that all the time when I'm watching games. I'm like, value the ball. <laughs> value it. Just value the ball. Well, Dad, thank you so much for sitting in tonight on the show and talking a lot of different sports with me as well. Dad, before we get out of here, you know it's winter time, right? Oh, it is. And the way you beat winter is you go to the Fan for All Seasons merchandise store and you get our hoodies, you get our long sleeve tees, you get our sweatshirts. Gear up, swag up. It'll help you beat winter because I think the groundhog did see a shadow. And so we're going to be in this winter for a little bit longer. Six more weeks, you just signed to me, okay? And Joe, you'll not only be warm, you'll look good doing it. Exactly. <laughs> look good, feel good, play good. Isn't that what Deion Sanders said? Look good, play good, feel good? Or was that Willie Mays? Hey, it's for Major League. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. And also, also before we get out of here, I'd like for you guys to like and subscribe to this podcast. If you like everything with what we're doing, like and subscribe, you know, Apple... Stitcher, iHeart, you know, everywhere. Just like and subscribe and give us a rating. You know, that would really help us out too. And we have one more last bit of housekeeping news. Let's get a, one last word from our sponsor. Fan for All Seasons is brought to you in part by Georgia Smoke Barbecue, authentic original oak smoked barbecue catering. Learn more at georgiasmoke.com. And so for my dad, I'm Jamin Joe. This has been another exciting installment of the Fan for All Seasons podcast, and we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya!